Lights up on a park bench. Lights up on a deck. Lights, 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 lights up. Lights up. Lights up. Lights up. A podcast by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. I'm Bronte Upshaw. I'm based in New York City, and I'm playing Leah. My name is Gage Goza. I am Ringo, Georgia, and I am playing the character of Matthew. Scene one, today, Leah's apartment. Matthew and Leah are laying on her bed, tangled up in the covers, spent. They lie there like that for several moments. I think I just saw God. (laughs) Don't laugh. I didn't expect. I mean, nobody talks about it like this. And we talked about it a lot. I don't mean sex. I mean seeing experiencing God. We talked about it all the time. Not just at Jesus camp, pretty much everywhere. They probably still do. One day we'd have that feeling, that light inside us, God. And we'd really know, we'd know the truth, physically, tangibly, proof of faith. I waited and waited, but it never happened for me. Not even with your wife? Please don't. I ruined the moment. No, it's just... I I always do. I didn't mean... What I just felt, saw, it's not a small thing. I've been seeing God since I was 16. That's because you're Jewish. What's that supposed to mean? No shame. You haven't met a lot of Jews. Around sex, I mean. Then you've only met reformed Jews. I wouldn't know the difference. You'd know. She starts to get up. Where are you going? You want some eggs? Right now? I'm hungry. I can make them fancy. Pico de gallo, shallots, ooh, feta. Or do you want to lie around and pray or something? Are you always so mean to people you sleep with? Yes. No. Maybe. Look, I just offered to cook you a gourmet breakfast. Was that really so mean? What did I do? Get out of bed first? It's too soon for a first fight. Come on, I want to know. Eggs. Yes, please. That's exactly what I want. But that don't get all metaphorical about the eggs. Or I'll just do toast. Suddenly, he reaches out for her and kisses her. I'm sorry, Leah. For everything you've been through. Yeah. This was a lot just now. No, I'm serious. (laughs) It's not fair. We haven't had great hands dealt to us. Maybe that's changing. Oh, don't put so much pressure on this. Oh, you're so sincere. I don't know if I can take it. Look, the sex was good. Better than expected, but that doesn't mean that this is good. You can't tell me that this didn't... Are you going to be one of those guys who wants to pick a date three weeks in? When did I ever... I thought... I mean, I thought you were over the super Christian stuff. I don't need to get married again. Ever. Are you going to be one of those women who's hyper-focused on me until they get me into bed, and then as soon as they're done, it's like I might as well be a pile of junk mail? Are you? Is that so terrible? I've heard about women like that. Never actually met one before. I'm not completely put off by it. You're not unfunny. Or 
and cute. And I'm not ignoring you. I'm just ready to move on to the next pleasurable religious experience. Food. Leah, I, stop for a second. You called me sincere like it was a curse. I don't know how else to be. You're the first person... I haven't been with... Not since my wife. Oh. I didn't think I'd ever... We were 14 when we met. It was... We felt not lucky exactly, but blessed that we found each other. But these last two years... How are you still such an open wound? She holds him. Oh, honey. You will never be able to survive this way. Lights fade to black. Scene two. Yesterday. The Tree of Life Grief Counseling Center. Leah is in the midst of rambling through her introduction to the group. Yeah, so, um, then I got pregnant. <laughs> so we got married. Whatever, not a big deal. And then I... I lost it, the baby, but we stayed married anyway. I don't know why. I mean, we didn't need to, but we did. And it was easy. I never thought that it would be easy. I don't come from easy. We fell in, we fell in love, I guess, after. And we stayed that way until I didn't get pregnant again. That didn't matter to me. But a couple of years in, he... He decided he really, really wanted a kid, and, like, I was agnostic about it, but, you know, I like sex as much or maybe more than the next person, so whatever, you know, sure, let's work at it. Why not? And I, I still didn't get pregnant, and I, I, I didn't really care, except that he was so disappointed. And I hate doctors. I, I don't go, but I went, and that's how I knew that I really loved him. Uh, I was fine. The miscarriage was absolutely nothing to worry about, they said. It just happens sometimes, and everything was in working order. So, uh, the, the next step was his... to get things checked out. And that was the beginning of everything. The beginning of the end. By the time I realized how important he was to me, he was gone. That was, that was four years ago this Saturday, and I, I, I'm okay, I'm okay, mostly. Except when I get angry and it's like my heart is gonna explode out of my chest and I am not safe to be around. He was 28 fucking years old, how is that fair? Shit, um, I'm done. Next? She gets up quickly, walks over to a spread of refreshments. Matthew approaches her. Hi. Don't. I... Uh, I recognized your voice. What? You give tours, right? I think I was on your ghost tour last weekend. Are you stalking me? No, I was just... You followed me to a grief counseling center? What the fuck? No, please. I've been coming here for a year. You're the one who's new. Oh, I... Sorry. I'm sorry, I... No, it's... I should have given you some space after you talked. I should know better. You did pretty much swoop right in, though, didn't you? 
seemed pretty stalkery. No, I was. Well, I get it. You wanted to stake your claim before anyone else tried to talk to me. This is the most fucked up single situation I've ever seen. You have a very high opinion of yourself. I oh, was just I, trying um, to be friendly. I thought I recognized your voice. It seemed like a nice coincidence. That's all. Sorry. I, I shouldn't have said... I'm not used to... Uh... So that's how it's going to be here, huh? Some super helpful, huggy, lift each other up for a brighter future kind of vibe. If that's how you want it to be. I'm not so interested in that. Then why are you here? Just looking for some peace. I get it. Sorry. I understand. He starts to leave. Hey, wait. You were the guy asking about the veil. Piercing the veil, communicating with the dead on the ghost tour after. Yeah, that was me. It was dark. I didn't recognize you. It was a big group. People don't usually stick around after as long as you did. No? I, I mean, sometimes. The creeps, the wackos. Thanks. And the homeschoolers. They're the ones who it... bring their kids to the late night ghost tours. Not tourists? Tourists come, but they don't hang around after. And if they do, they don't have serious questions. They're just there for fun. Fun. Yeah. Remember fun? You must have been desperate if you thought I had any answers. You seem like you did on the tour, and job. I... Yeah, but why pick that job if you don't believe? Because it's a job with a paycheck, and I'm pretty good at it. And it's kind of fun. And also, I get to stick my finger in the eye of all of the searchers. There are more of them than you think. I don't believe you. Oh, believe me, there are a crazy number of people. No, I don't believe that's why you work there. Okay. Also, I kind of like to freak myself out. It's not so easy. Uh, once in a while, something spooky actually happens. Something I can't explain and for a second say... I don't know. You believe? No. For a second, I don't doubt. <sighs> that doesn't make any sense. It does. It, yeah, it absolutely does. You feel like you know something's still out there. Something actually remains. Yeah, that's probably why they call them remains. Uh. That wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> You want to get out of here? Grab some coffee? There's coffee right there. Better coffee. Stacker. Blackout. Scene three. Tomorrow. Lights up on Matthew alone. It is initially unclear where he is speaking from. He holds a notepad as he speaks. I never thought of myself as lucky. But I, I don't know. Maybe I was. I mean, I had it all figured out. As a kid, as a teenager even. I think that's probably rare. I was sure of things. 
and I lived in a place where everyone was sure of things. If it came out of my pastor's mouth, it was the truth. If it was written in the Bible, it was the truth. Not an interpretation, not a debate, truth. Luck didn't figure into it. I met my wife, Maya, in junior high, in choir. It was an unspoken thing, but also unquestioned. I met my football coach the same year. Everything was already falling into place. I was tall for my age. I was the only freshman on the JV team who could play up. Varsity. The first big prize on the way to a D1 scholarship. None of this seemed random or lucky. I was good. A good player. A good person. A good Christian. I worked hard at it. At everything. And I was going to be great. A great husband, father, college athlete, and beyond. I deserved it. When that linebacker's helmet connected with my neck, right between my C5, C6 vertebrae, I knew in that split second, before I lost consciousness even, that I'd been naive about the, about the whole world. I was mostly okay after. I could walk. I could think. Lucky. They said it was a miracle, but it didn't seem that way to me. I was done with football, all contact sports. I was going to have to rethink everything. I mean everything, even God. Suddenly, all the things I thought were settled truth, those were the shakiest of all. When Maya got sick, it was a continuation of that first disaster. I felt like Job. Come on, God. What else are you going to throw at me? Bring it on! For a moment, it's as if Matthew is waiting for God to spite him further. Nothing happens. Leah approaches him. I can't believe you wrote all that down. And mostly memorized it. I just rambled through mine. I didn't want to fall apart while I was talking. I figured if I wrote it down, I could keep it on track. Hold myself together. You really felt like Job. I don't fucking know. I don't remember. Of course I felt like Job. I must have. That was what was in my speech. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked at it in a year, and... You seem like you remembered it pretty well just now. I practiced it a lot. Sorry. I didn't mean to yell. That was not yelling. This is yelling! <laughs> hey, it's okay if you felt like Job. It's... It's how I thought I was supposed to feel, so that's how I tried to act. But I don't know. I don't understand. Job never wavered. You had good reason to waver. That's not how it works. And it's not true. That's not how it happened. It started before the bat tackle, not very long before, but I started to doubt. I didn't say a word, but too many things I heard in church didn't add up, and no one questioned them, at least not out loud. I started to wonder if maybe I wasn't the only one who was doubting, if we were all doubting in our minds, but alone. I wrote a letter about what I was thinking, feeling, and it was only going to be a sentence or two, but it was six pages before I finished. 
I sealed it up and put it in my desk. It didn't have an address on it. I didn't send it anywhere. But it was like, just by writing it, I opened a window I couldn't close, and the whole foundation started to crumble. Not a very strong foundation if it couldn't handle a little... Real faith isn't shakable. You're saying that if you hadn't doubted, you wouldn't have gotten slammed in the neck? Or that she'd still be alive? You know, lots of atheists have long marriages. You've got statistics on that? You don't have to take responsibility for everything that goes wrong, Matthew. Sometimes it is just luck. That isn't comforting. Look, I'm not the world's greatest Jew, so maybe don't quote me on any of this, but you know how we say Mazel Tov? Maybe you don't know. You don't really know a lot. I've heard the phrase. Okay, so Mazel is luck. When a baby is born or at a wedding, you hear it over and over. Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, and the idea is that if you're lucky, everything else is possible. Nothing else really matters. And if you're unlucky? She touches his cheek. Maybe you don't have to stay that way. Okay, so pretty much everyone that I know has student loans. I don't. That is lucky. It is. But it's because my dad, he thought he'd worked out a system for blackjack, and he paid for four years of a fancy liberal arts education with gambling money. Well, three and a half years. My stepmother put an end to it when she found out, but that was only after he lost a lot my senior year. After winning big nonstop for more than three years, he was really, really lucky until he wasn't. Maybe it can work the other way around. You can be unlucky and then all of a sudden your luck just changes. Your mazel. You reach a turning point and for whatever reason, it's like a switch gets flipped. Leia, you sound almost sincere. Shut up. Mazel. I'm not saying I believe in it, but I thought that you'd like it as a concept. I do, but that doesn't take the place of God. But there's more. Mazel is, according to the mystics at least, Mazel is the root of the soul. The idea is that only a ray of our souls actually inhabits our bodies, usually. The main part, the Mazel, remains above, shining down on us from a distance. When you wish mazel on someone, luck, it's like you're wishing that a little more of their soul is with them for a while, a drip from above. Mazel literally means a drip from above. Maybe that's the God part. I may have to convert. Not necessary. How do you know all this? probably got most of it wrong anyway. Did you study up on this? For me? Don't get all full of yourself. Never. Did you? No. I remembered it, vaguely. So I googled it, so I could tell you about it, because I thought that you needed to hear it, but it, it may make you feel better. Does it? Does what? Does it make you feel better? A little. Me too. They kiss. Thank you. He lays his head in her lap. So, I'm thinking. 
if Mazel is the God part and God is love, maybe that's also what lingers at a distance. Love, luck, Mazel, whatever you want to call it, that's what remains after a loss. I don't know. Maybe. From a distance, but not gone. Not completely. Not gone. But at a distance. He kisses her. After a moment, she looks past him, over his shoulder, into the distance. I see you. Who are you talking to? Whatever. Whoever is out there. They hold each other tightly. Lights fade. Hey, everybody. It's Gary, the producer for Lights Up, Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga's new podcast for playwrights, performers, and patrons of theater. I wanted to see if you've heard about Anchor. Anchor, the platform that's hosting our podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, well, I am happy to be the first to tell you about it. It is free. F-R-E-E. That's right, free. Um, There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your computer uh, or your phone. And Anchor will distribute the podcast that you create so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And you know what else? It doesn't cost you anything, but you can make money from your podcast, and you don't even have to have a minimum listenership. That's right. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So. Do like we did. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R, or anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started and create your podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two of season two for Lights Up. I am Dana Colagiovanni, joined by my co-host. And I'm Christy Gallo. I am a producing partner with the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga. And we just got a chance to listen to The God Part, written by Dana Leslie Goldstein. Um, Thank you, Dana, so much for joining us tonight. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you are now, um, you know, what other kind of productions you've got going in the fire? And I know it's been a weird year for everyone, but it seems like playwrights have been really great about getting their work out there. Um, So just give us a little hello and tell us what's going on with you. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, yes, it has definitely been a really weird year. Um, and that's probably, that's the biggest understatement. Um, but it's been, um, it's, it's been strangely a positive year as a playwright, because I've been able to work with actors from all over the country, all over the world. So, and I've had a lot of publishing opportunities, which is interesting too. Um, so I, I have a, um, I have a, a 
collection of short plays that's being published next week, actually, um, by Next Stage Press, called Birth, Death, and Bourbon, because one of them's about birth, one of them's about death, and the other one, there's some drinking. Um, but but this play, the God part is going to be published in best stage plays of 2021, um, by Smith and Krauss. They do a, a, like an anthology every year. So this play is going to be published in that. Um, and I have a bunch of other little things being published. So it's been an, it's been a good year for publishing. Um, but of course a bad year for live theater because there hasn't been are based in New York. Is that true? Is that oh, what you Oh, yeah. Think? Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Brooklyn. Um, so, cool. you know, that's, it's, I love Brooklyn. It's, you know, it's New York City, but it's not Manhattan. Um, so it's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, and, uh, you know, it's also, my mother grew up in Brooklyn and then left and then I came back to Brooklyn. Um, so I, I love being here. My, my grandmother did not understand why I would want to come back to Brooklyn, but, <laughs> but I love it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm in New York, but um, but I've had shows this year all over the place. You know, things can happen anywhere right now because, you know, we're all in little boxes. Yeah, literally. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, um, and Dana, if you would give us a little bit of background in terms of how long have you been a playwright and what got you started being like in, you know, got you started playwriting? Sure. Um, so it's the, it, there's two different answers. I, I started writing plays, I think, when I was like eight years old. I wrote a play that was, um, that was on Zoom. I, you guys are probably too young to know Zoom, but it was this TV show that public television did um, where they produced like, for television uh, little plays that kids... That was just kind of something that I did and never really thought I was going to go into playwriting. I, I loved the theater. Um, and eventually, you know, found my way to writing in general. But I, I had a poetry fellowship um, at the University of Virginia for a couple of years. And while I was there, I, I met a teacher who I loved who and took a playwriting class with him. And it just, I don't what? know, it just spurred Doug Grissom. I was gonna so I went to UVA for grad school and I was like I wonder if it was Doug I oh had my goodness. um I love Doug yeah oh, it's so funny he, he he changed he changed the trajectory of my life uh, that, oh that's amazing that you know him Dana I I I have to I have to get in contact with him then. he he gave us I just took this class just on a whim um so I was supposed to be doing nothing but poetry but I took this class because I love theater and the first assignment just listen to people and transcribe what you were listening to yeah you're nodding. Um, but I, I didn't listen to the instructions and I, you know, I went and I started listening and then I just, I just went off and created my own thing and, it, and I brought it in and I think he, you know, he knew right away that this wasn't something that I had just overheard in a train station. It started my whole trajectory as a playwright and he had gone to Brandeis, um, and he, and so he contacted his, his mentor there and I then I went to Brandeis for an MFA in playwriting after this, after that fellowship in poetry. And that was it. I never looked back. Um, you know, and I, and I added lyric writing to it, which kind of felt like a, um, like it was related to my poetry work. Um, so I write musicals also. Um, but yeah, Doug, oh, Doug was extremely important in my career. <laughs> I love that. So like, let's just take a moment. Shout out Doug Grissom. Yes. We'll, we'll tag him all good teachers, but especially in the arts, if you can, and see someone and say like, okay, you didn't quite follow the rules, but like, this is art. So what are, what are the rules? Like, let's twist the rules. This is, 
this is working for you. Let's go. And like, just encourage, encourage instead of if it doesn't quite fit the mold, if it doesn't quite follow the rules, like that's okay. See where it takes you, you know? And, and I think Doug is a really great advocate of that. Instead of saying no, that's, you know, and inhibiting my, my impulses. Yeah. He just, he like set me rolling. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I still send him drafts of things. Yeah. That is so cool. I love stories like that. And I just love what a small world, honestly, on so many levels that theater is, yeah. you know what I mean? Where um, Dana, you knew immediately, like, you're like, I bet it's like, <laughs> I knew, I knew you were going to say Doug. I was like, it's gotta be like, who else is doing playwriting at UVA? I mean, that's how theater works in general, Christy, right? Like you find these good people and you, you go with them. So <laughs> absolutely. It's so community oriented, which is one of the things that I think most of us love about it. Yeah. Um, so in um, regards to the God part, Dana, like when, how long ago did you write this and what inspired this particular, this particular story? I loved it. I hope it's happy and sad, not just sad. Um, Cause I do think there's hope for them. Um, they have their second chance, but um, it, I wrote it during the pandemic um, and it, it was, so it's pretty fresh but it was kind of a strange situation. I'm, I'm a member or like a, a playwright company artist um, at the Workshop Theater in Manhattan. And um, we've been doing this thing for the last few years called Out of the Hat. Playwrights come in and there's a theme and you pull the actor's headshots literally out of the hat. So you don't know who you're, you're writing for until you pull those headshots out. One of the actors that I had pulled out of the hat lived with his girlfriend. I don't know, I had an idea in my head about, you know, just the sensuality of their relationship. And so I wrote for this particular couple who obviously are in, you know, you know we're in quarantine together. Um, and they told me some, some stories and I interviewed them and kind of created a world around them and used the, um, the theme for this particular festival was luck. Um, so luck was informing what I was writing then I got to see them actually do it on Zoom, but be able to kiss, you know, actually hold each other and have those things happen. And, you know, the beauty of the podcast is that you don't have any of those, those kind of restrictive Zoom boxes, you know, it's all, it's all in your ears. So you can imagine them doing everything that they're doing. So I, it's really nice for me to have seen this play once with the actors actually touching and now to hear it again with the voices and so you can really you can just imagine their growing intimacy um so i yeah thank you um just a curiosity follow-up when you were listening to the recording uh were you able to see another version of the play in your head or were you seeing what you had seen through um your zoom performance of it if, it, was, exactly. it was it was different. It was it was very different. It's one of the beautiful things about being a playwright is mm -hmm. that you know you get actors and they embody these characters in every time a production happens and with a different cast you get to see it in a different way. And my follow up question about that was because I was so glad you asked Christy when this was written because as I was listening, where it is very we're we're, we're all hearing and we're we're all hearing and seeing things through the lens of COVID now, right? Um, especially theater. And like you said, a lot of things are happening in little boxes and, and this is such a dynamic global shift that we're all kind of viewing through this, this lens that's kind of incredible. But so many plays that we have heard may have been written pre-pandemic and become very relatable now. I found this extremely relatable without knowing when you wrote this, but what I loved is it was not 
specific. It was just talking about themes of grief and loss and, and unexpected loss. And so I just want to like say that while it was dealing with that and it was it's a COVID play, right? Like written during COVID times, it just seemed so universal and it seemed like such a different, uh, it was like a reverse angle of some of what we're hearing and seeing. I really appreciate that. And so dynamic in your writing is that same thing I found was this like shift of an angle. Um, for me, this dialogue sounds extremely, extremely naturalistic, mm. but yet you have this like um, non-realism, magical kind of plot structure in that you're playing with time. Um, so you're like constantly subverting my expectations as a as an audience member. Is that something that is common in your writing style? Yeah, I think each one is different. I, this one was this one was strange for me. It was I don't I don't tend to write monologues. It, I I often often I deliberately don't write monologues, but I and I usually write pretty naturalistic. You know, things happen in an order and things gather steam. And for some reason, this one, this one just wrote itself in this strange order. I honestly, I don't know why I did it that way. It is, I don't think I have ever done that. I hadn't really thought about it. I'm glad you asked that because it, I hadn't, I hadn't put it into words for myself. Yeah. And listening now and knowing in retrospect that it's a COVID play, right? So like, to me, I, it, the structure brought to mind, like an Angels in America or a Constellations where, I mean, Angels is a little more heightened language, but uh it is I love that. both of those comparisons. So <laughs> yeah, right? Like structurally, you know, this is your own stamp on it, but structurally that's kind of where my brain went with this. But hearing that this is a COVID play and hearing that this was different for you, I mean, one of the big, and maybe this is why it was so relatable, the meaning of time totally split open for me. I think that was the biggest thing in the past year is like that, that idea that time is a construct, like never felt realer or truer to me than it has in the past year. Um, no, I totally, I totally agree with you, Dana, on that. In fact, that was a question that I wanted to ask you, uh, Dana, in terms of influences of your writing. Do you, do you have, oh, yes. do you have like favorite playwrights that, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, so, you know, I love the two plays that you mentioned and, and the writers of both those plays, but I, but I think the, the, my inspirations come more from people like, um, like Chekhov mm. or, um, August Wilson. Um, you know, they're the, I, I very much in my full length plays, at least I, I love to write about groups of people and follow the, you know, the trajectory of every character so that every character has a journey, even if they're not the main character everyone's changed by the end. Um, and, you know, August Wilson is telling, telling a story of a time and a group and a, you know, and a place and a community um, and Chekhov does the same thing. And I, I, you know, it, so I think those are my influences. And unfortunately this, and we, Christy and Gary and I have had these conversations before about the trajectory of theater and how perhaps this pandemic will change maybe some of the, the, commercialism that it is steeped in but that's one of the things that I think we've seen a decline of ensemble plays and and even in musicals right like you're seeing a bit of a decline in ensemble musicals unless you're doing like a golden revival because in general it's way more profitable to do that like smaller two-hander three four like 
So I applaud you for sticking to your guns and being like, no, I want to tell this tale because like for me, I don't know if you saw it, but um, The Ferryman was one of the most exciting pieces. I love The Ferryman. Loved, loved, right? loved. Yes, that is exact. That is my, that is my cup of tea. <laughs> yes. That for, for anyone who is not in New York listening, um, this, this is a play that took place in the eighties in Ireland and uh, followed an entire family on a farm. Yeah. It was really an enthralling, epic piece of theater that we don't see often anymore. And, you know, I, I think too, it, it something like The Ferryman, which I, I just adore, um, expects more of the audience, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. I think that's part of it too, you know, is that if you're gonna follow lots of characters with lots of threads, you have to be, you really do have to be paying attention. You have to be, you have to really be present in the theater with that piece of work. Um, and I, you know, I think a lot of times in New York, you know, there a lot of things get on, at least on Broadway, that are for tourists, you know, and it's, that's mm -hmm. not what it is. It's an entertainment. Um, the more difficult pieces like Ferryman or, or Angels or, or, you know, things like that um, are, I don't, I don't know. I, I love that. I love to sink my teeth into something. But the other piece of that is, is the ensemble piece. Like, I love working with a group of actors who know each other and the playwright knows them and is writing for their particular voices. Um, it's, it's part of what I love about that Out of the Hat Festival at the workshop. And, you know, it, even when I was in high school, we had a rep company where we were just all a group of, of actors who just all worked together and didn't, you know, we didn't write our own work, but we were, we just knew each other in a, in a kind of way. And it, it set me up for wanting that um, as my model of what theater could be. It's, I mean, it's not very American, it's kind of European, but, um, but working with the same group of actors over and over again, um, who you trust and who trust you and you can grapple with things. And, um, yeah, I love that, so. It's very, um, I'll shout out another group that is, you know, that ETC is very fond of and Gary in particular, but, and, and who I've worked quite a bit with here in New York is the Tectonic Theater. Yes, yes, um, Kaufman, absolutely. Yes. And so their model, anybody who doesn't know of them, we've talked about uh, last season, we talked about um, uh, Laramie Project a little mm -hmm. bit, but like definitely look Beautiful that up if you're a listener. <laughs> But, but that is another theater company, which like you said, it's, it's not a traditional American model, but there's like a rep company of actors and everybody kind of contributes. It's, it's a way of uh, devised work, moment work, you know, everyone has a little bit of input on the lighting and the costumes and this, as you're creating the work before the like lead designers take over. And um, that, that's another like example where it's that full on collaboration. That yeah, just... no, I, I love that model. I, you know, that, um, I did some work, this is a long time ago, um, with, a, with a group that no longer exists um, called City Lights Theater, where we were in residence on Ellis, Ellis Island, and we created, it was devised work like what Tectonic does, but it was, it, it was taken from oral histories of immigrants who had come through Ellis Island, and we created something based on that. Um, you know, so like the, the, I love that too, the, you know, being the shaper and the editor and, you know, creating the story out of you know, the, like they did with Laramie. So that's really, really is verbatim in a different way, so. What has it been like getting your work out there um, in terms of like that that grind or, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say it, you know, initially, I, I, I have a play called Daughters of the Sexual Revolution um, that's, that's was kind of moving forward in New York and then things, the pandemic hit and I kind of made the decision that 
what I was going to do with it was turn it into a pilot for like HBO or something like that mm -hmm. because it felt like, well, maybe theater isn't coming back. But mm -hmm. then before I could get a chance to even start working on that pilot, I started to get interest in one of my other plays. It's kind of a companion piece to Daughters, um, this play called Go Down Moses um, that is now like getting getting lots of Zoom interest. And, and so there's part of me that that's feels like, well, maybe maybe I don't need to abandon theater. You know, like there was a part of me that thought maybe maybe I need to move into TV and film now. Maybe, you know, I took one of my small plays and turned it into a screenplay. I, but I'm, I'm starting to feel more hopeful, you know, that, you know, I, last week I actually saw three pieces of live theater, um, kind of live. Um, one of them was, was mostly like a soundscape and, and it was blindness. Blindness. Or, yeah. Um, but the other two things I saw were absolutely live. One was Bill Irwin, the clown, like doing like a 15 minute, like just live performance in Manhattan. And then the other one was a company in Brooklyn doing um, like Shakespeare sonnets and madrigals and dance, you know, outdoors. And it just, you know, it was like, oh, we're coming, we're, we're coming back. There's going to be theater again. Um, Real live bodies in the same yeah, space. Yeah. yeah. Did want to talk a little bit about the title, the God part, and, and a little bit about um, the religious aspect that you play with in the theme, because oftentimes, um, like I think of one of the last plays I saw surrounding religion was Heroes of the Fourth Turning, mm -hmm. and like sometimes, also great, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and and you know some of the classics like uh, Agnes of God or these plays that like have truly deep religious uh, themes, and there's usually like a very strong opinion from the characters. From the, the there's a very strong point of view about religion, right? Oftentimes in theater, um, because most people in life have a very strong point of view about religion but one thing that I thought again here you are is subverting audience expectations you hear a title the god part and I thought this was one of the most like open universal plays tone I'm not being very articulate in what I'm trying to say but I found the the tone and the opinions and point of view about religion in this play really undefined in a positive way and I just wanted to know where that came from it, it, it just you can speak on that like um obviously you're writing from a Jewish point of view and we have that lovely explanation of Mazel and all of that poetry was was in her monologue about that um, but I just thought it was just such a tender, open, approachable view on religion. And I wonder if you'd talk about how you approach that in writing. Sure. I mean, well, first of all, thank you. Um, the, and, you know, it's connected to what I was saying about writing for an ensemble. Um, because, you know, I, I, when, I don't think I have a single play, or I hope I don't have a single play that has a, like a viewpoint that's kind of me being polemical. What I generally love to do is have the characters have really strong viewpoints about things and change each other through it. Um, so, because I feel like that's life. Um, and if, if you're not going to be changed by interacting with other people, what are you doing? In particular with this one, um, you know, I'm, I'm culturally very Jewish, but I'm not religiously very Jewish. Mm -hmm. and, and my husband's not Jewish. My, my children are, you know, raised basically Jewish, but we're kind of creative Jews, you know? Um, <laughs> But, you know, but 
but that aside, you know, I, I when I started writing this, um, you know, I said I interviewed these two actors, and one of the actors that I interviewed had grown up very religious, um, and had had kind of a, a moment where he just he needed to break away from it, and I wanted to explore that, but also explore, you know, that that feeling of faith being something that grounds you in loss. So the loss of total faith, kind of your foundation is then shaken and you, you need to figure out what's going to be your foundation. I think that they have lots to learn from each other. I mean, he's so much more positive than she is, um, but she can, she can be lighter than he is too. Like there's, they give each other different things and coming from two different religious backgrounds, I think they also can teach each other and inform each other that way too. It really just, Christy and I were both talking, it's really well-written, a really Thank just you. beautiful slice of life play. I'm not interested in, in having the answer. I'm interested in seeking. Um, so we always like to ask a playwright, what is a word that makes you happiest? We won't say favorite, because we know it's probably hard to pick favorite, but is there a word that you cherish that makes you really happy that you're really loving currently? Um, the one that I'm liking right now is just joy. I've just, I'm a little bit obsessed with that word currently. I'm kind of thinking that I need to use it in a title or at least have a character named joy at some point. I haven't done that yet. That's a beautiful word. So I, I love that. Um, one of my favorite words is grace for the same reason. Oh, just, same it, thing. Just, it just says so much <laughs> and just such a simple, do you have any item in your life that's particularly sentimental for, for, or, or like a, you know, like a prized possession? I, it's really silly. That's the best. Yeah. That's the best thing. It, it actually has a sound effect, which you might be able to capture. Yes. Um, okay. So I, I People on the podcast are not going to be able to see it, but you, you well, maybe we'll use a little snip of this in the um, promotions. So it's is, <laughs> it's is that a Wonder cool. Woman in her plane? It, it is Wonder Woman in her invisible plane. It it um it was a gift to me from an actress. I have a I have a musical um, about a woman comic book writer, and it goes back and forth between her real life and her comic book. And at the end of it. Um, one of the actresses who was in it gave me this and I love it. I just love it. But if you press down on Wonder Woman, she talks. Time to fly back to headquarters. <laughs> okay, let's see if we can we can do another one. Here we go. Um This is Wonder Woman. I'm on my way. <laughs> it's really goofy. It's, it's the embodiment it's, of joy. Yeah, it's yes, it gives me it it absolutely gives me joy. It um That is awesome. Do you have a cherished favorite happy place? Yeah, um <laughs> boy, <laughs> I'm just an open book. Um so <laughs> yeah, the dock behind my in-laws home. <laughs> yeah, I love it there. You are just so lovely and we hope everyone enjoys the God part and everybody logs onto your website, buys your books, you know, auditions are coming back. So they'll need those monologues. So thank yes. you. Thank you. Do you enjoy a challenge? Is your imagination stuck in overdrive? Is your attention span shorter than a Cubs world series streak? Do you want your work read on lights up? Then consider entering our one page playwright competition propped. 
Incorporate three of the following props into a one-page play. A mannequin covered with confessions. A decapitated head in a duffel bag. A stage ghost light. Green cheese. An old-fashioned camera. Two telephones. A cloth face mask. And a ring light. Create a one-page play using any of the three items and submit it to lights up at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. If your piece is selected, we will read it at the end of one of our episodes. Now go forth and write. Lights Up is a podcast produced by the Ensemble Theater of Chattanooga, a 501c3 nonprofit independent theater company located in southeast Tennessee. Lights Up is hosted by Christy Gallo and Dana Colagiovanni. Sound by Eric Red Wyatt. Graphics by Jamie Goodnight. And Casey Keelan as the associate producer. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, copied, or presented without the expressed written consent of the Ensemble Theatre of Chattanooga. The plays presented on this podcast are protected by all national and international copyright laws. If you are interested in producing any of the plays featured on Lights Up, contact us and we will get you in touch with the playwright. If you would like your play considered for a future episode or would like to be an actor or reader, please shoot us a message at lightsup at ensembletheaterofchattanooga.com. As a nonprofit, ETC relies on donations and the goodwill of patrons and supporters like you. If you would like to make a one-time donation to ETC, please visit our website for details. Or you can become a monthly subscriber on Patreon and get access to exclusive content. You can also support us by giving us a like and rating this podcast. Lights Up is hosted by Anchor, a Spotify company. The easiest way to make a podcast.